Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Man City in the Premier League to my Man City in League Two. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how's it going? Yeah, it's going very well. I'm absolutely exhausted this morning. No, I had a broken sleep. It was just, just one of those nights just before recording. It's always ideal. I'm... I'm always the same before we have an early record on a Thursday, mainly because I'll have something in my head and I'll be like, right, I can't get this out of my head now. And it's usually a, p- a point about Blackburn um, because <laughs> I get on some tirade in, as I'm dozing off to sleep and then suddenly wake up and think, I need to write this down. Um, how about you? <laughs> yeah, probably not quite that. Um, I was informed that I was sleeping face down a lot, pretty much like a corpse, um, which isn't. <laughs> Which isn't healthy, um, and I think that's partly down to, um, yeah, maybe maybe the podcast, but that is why I've had a broken sleep. It wasn't a very comfortable one, and yeah, just wake up a, a little bit frazzled, which viewers may viewers on the socials may may realise when they see the bags under my eyes on the clips. You sound tired all the time, anyway. Yeah. How do you sleep, Justin? Do you sleep on uh, your left, your right, on your shoulder? I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, I sleep on my side, not my shoulder, because that's impossible. I can't. You can't sleep vertically, right? For God's sake. Um, but yeah, I, I sleep. Um, I sleep on my my side, my right side, or my left side. I'm a, I'm easy with that. You sleep on the left or the right side of the bed. I sleep on the right side of the bed. It's just better. It's just better. How do you sleep? What do you sleep in? Tell me. Um, I have an array of old Derby County shorts that I sleep in. Do you actually? Oh, yeah, honestly, old football shorts. Um, oh, that, that's that's quite adorable, Justin. <laughs> last night, last night, I was wearing Derby County's uh, away shorts from 0304. <laughs> this is incredible. I, I did not know this, yeah. and that's actually uh, that's actually put a smile onto my face because you sound like you sound like a twelve year old who's just ready for the next Derby County game. You're so excited for it. Buzzing. I, I've, I've done. It. I've always done it. It's much better than boxes, you know. Very restricting sleeping in boxes. The football shorts have a little bit more freedom, which is always good. What 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 does your fiance think about this? She's not. She's not bothered. She never said anything. She's just shorts. Never commented it? on it. No, it's just shorts, isn't it? I don't wear PJs. Just just shorts. Okay. Just, just nightwear. I'm not sure it's made for nightwear, but <laughs> I, I find it wholesome all the same. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. I'm sure you were all desperate to find out that insight about <laughs> what Justin Peach sleeps in. Uh, but we're now going to give you some insight on the championship. We've got plenty to go through from midweek. Of course, the sacking of Mark Fotheringham at Huddersfield. We'll get onto that very shortly. We'll also talk about the two games from midweek, including a huge game at Bloomfield Road. Talk about some of the other news from the past few days including a new deal for Carlos Corbran ending speculation with him potentially moving to Leeds and then we'll finish off with Diddy or didn't he right at the end and we'll also have our predictions as well completely forgot about that we'll also have our predictions looking ahead to some of the big games coming up in the championship this weekend so Mark Fotheringham has been sacked by Huddersfield after they drew 2-2 away at Blackpool he'd won just five of his 21 games in charge thoughts Justin Peach it's been inevitable for a long time. I'd only argue that it should have been done um, weeks ago, just to save, well, give them as much, give Huddersfield as much chance as possible of staying up. Um, I, I've not been a fan of him. I've tried to give him the benefit of the doubt on some occasions, and I, I have, I have acknowledged that they have improved somewhat defensively, but going forward, they're still completely hopeless. Um, and I think that Blackpool game last night just highlighted how inexperienced and out of his depth Fotheringham was because, I mean, we'll go into it when we go to depth on the game, but there was a slight change 
in intensity and um, tactics by Mick McCarthy and Fotheringham didn't adapt. Um, I know they got a late goal at that point you should be seeing the game out um, and they didn't and the substitutions were going for the juggler and actually they probably should have just managed the game um, and it just highlights so so many issues and then I mean I've not even considered the fact that his press conferences were so I'm trying to think of a word that isn't um, I don't know disrespectful I don't know what I was watching um, and it's taken Sabri Mushi to realise Cardiff's situation in two games Fotheringham even after a backball game, didn't accept that Huddersfield were in a relegation scrap. Yeah, I think this had to happen. Huddersfield have been pouring out for a long time and he probably should have been sacked sooner. It was a strange appointment to begin with, wasn't it? They had Danny Schofield in his first management job. They sacked him, replaced him with another guy in his first management job who has no connection to the club and no experience of coaching in the Championship or even England for that matter. The Huddersfield squad is... Poor and always required someone with more experience than him. And it's been apparent now for quite some time that this guy is out of his depth, well and truly out of his depth. They have been woeful attack wise, and Fotheringham doesn't seem to approve them at all in that regard. He also seems to have fallen out with or alienated numerous players, most notably including Sorba Thomas, who's moved to Blackburn now. The thing I will remember him most for is his conversations with the press, though. The man was absolutely deluded. There is no two ways about it. I cannot think of a better word than deluded to sum up his press conferences. It was great. It was great content for the podcast. But from just a, a championship football fan perspective, it was hilariously irritating. He would constantly say Huddersfield played well when they didn't. Ironically, the one time I recall him actually criticising a performance was after this draw against Blackpool, and he was sacked the day after. But it's not just that. He was constantly bigging himself up and talking about how good a coach he is. He also claimed Slavin Bilic once told him, no wonder everyone in Germany is talking about you. Why? Why would everyone in Germany be talking about this guy who's managing the club that's been bottom of the championship for most of the season? It doesn't make any sense. As well as that, he also forgot one of his players' names in one of his first press conferences and called him the Japanese centre-half. He was like a Scottish Ron Bassett. And that's not even mentioning the time he... Apparently, I haven't seen this myself, but apparently he was arguing with supporters during games, which just... It will go down as a calamitous appointment, this, and it's one of the main reasons why fans are so frustrated with how the club is being run, because this season has just been a catalogue of errors by those in charge. The question is now, Justin, where do they go next? And that is quite a big question in Huddersfield circumstances, isn't it? I don't know who they can attract. Um, I, I've seen Dean Holden's name linked um, this morning at the time of recording, which is interesting. I do like Dean Holden, um, but for me, I would rather stay at Charlton at this point, um, just because their takeover is looking closer than Huddersfield's is, for example. Um, they might be a club on the up, whereas Huddersfield, unfortunately, they're, not, they're going the opposite direction. Um, the first name that came to my head when thinking of this job Ironically, incidentally, was uh, was Danny Cowley. Um, I think they've got to attract a manager that is young, still young enough, and still ambitious enough to come in and, and want to do um, a job at the club. Um, and as well as that, they've got to try and attract a manager who I think is in a position where he's trying to repair his reputation. Um, and Danny Cowley is going to be doing that after that Portsmouth role didn't quite go to plan. Um, 
he's going to get the team organised. He's, he's going to be a little bit more direct, but they should be a lot harder to beat. And for me, it will provide a much solid platform, much more solid platform for them to build on for next season than it would be for this season. I'm not ruling out this season, but certainly I would appoint a manager with a view to next season because getting one in this season, you're looking at your um, your, your firefighters, aren't you? Your, your Mick McCarthy's, your Steve Bruce's, your Neil Warnock's. They're slowly, by the by, disappearing off the off the map, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, Danny Cowell is his first name. I don't think he'd take it um, because he's been scorned by Huddersfield before. Um, but certainly a manager in that mould where they're, they're available, they are trying to repair their reputation and still young enough as well. Well, you look at who they should attract. You think of Sheffield Wednesday, they got Darren Moore, didn't they, when, just before True. they got relegated. And now look at them, they look like they're well on course to be back in the championship very soon so someone who's a long-term appointment with regards to looking ahead to next season with the likely chance that Huddersfield will be in League One would be a smart move it would be an inexperienced manager probably so that has got to be taken into account and would more than likely summon Huddersfield towards League One I, I'd, I'd assume so anyway, because it's going to be tough attracting a new manager with this squad. The club is a bit of a farce right now. How can you go from playoff final to relegation candidates in the space of a few months? And there was a banner at the game at the weekend which said, run by clowns. It's very difficult to defend those who run the club, isn't it? You lose half the squad from last year, lose the manager, recruit terribly, and bring in two managers who have been disasters. And... They have to take the blame for this. The fact Huddersfield could go down isn't because of Danny Schofield. It's not because of Mark Fotheringham. It's the people who run the football club. Will they get this appointment right? I don't know. Because the track record based off the last two appointments is awful. Like abysmal. <laughs> I wouldn't want this job. The squad's poor and it will take a good manager to keep them up. And they may very well have to do as you say, Justin. Look ahead to getting a manager who will help them bounce back likely in League One next season. Uh, let's quickly talk about the game. Blackpool spent the whole of the second half down to 10 men. We were 1-0 down until the 82nd minute when they equalised. Huddersfield went back in front before Blackpool equalised again in the 90th minute. Brilliant entertainment, Justin, which doesn't usually happen in games as important as this, does it? Yeah, they're usually tight. I mean, the first half was quite tight. It was, um, I don't think you could separate either team. Both teams had some good chances. But yeah, it seemed to, it seemed to open up after that red card. It may, may even played into Blackpool's hands a little bit, weirdly. Um, I thought the red card was ridiculous, by the way. It's Blackpool's eighth red card of the season, which is, I think it's six more than any other club, which is absolutely staggering. Um, and it was a red card as well. Um, but yeah, I thought Blackpool were impressive. I, they, they they impressed me. I thought Curtis Nelson was, was solid at the back handy lines. I know he scored a beautiful goal, um, but he came on. He, he's, a, he's a good attacking fullback, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops throughout the season. When I'm considering Blackpool's signings in January, he's one name that we don't think we've considered, mainly because he's come from the League of Ireland, so it's really hard to judge, judge players um, coming from there. But he, he comes... He comes packed with um, you know, good good feedback from statisticians, shall we say? Um, but yeah, really good character from Blackpool. You've got to praise them, and yeah, I'm a, a, a complete gut punch for Huddersfield, who should have seen this game out. They really should do. When you consider Blackpool were down to ten men for so long, I think they could take encouragement from this performance. The skill from Morgan Rogers in the lead up to the equaliser was fantastic. Took out three Huddersfield players with essentially a ball roll, but it was just so effectively done. And uh, that 
ended up leading to the equaliser in the 90th minute. Uh, some Blackpool fans seem frustrated with Mick McCarthy's first two league games, but I'm feeling fairly positive. It's a loss and a draw. They were beaten away at one of the best teams in the league in Middlesbrough, where Blackpool actually played quite well. And then they get a point against... Um, you know, a fellow relegation rival, despite being down to 10 men for half the game. And I think, based off what we've seen, the results will come for Blackpool. I thought that anyway, because of the signings they made in January and the new manager. But I think it even more so after seeing these two games. Plus, the atmosphere on Tuesday was excellent. And that could be genuinely huge for Blackpool's mm -hmm. chances of staying up. Yeah. You look at clubs like Cardiff and Huddersfield. The atmosphere at both those clubs isn't great right now. Fans are very unhappy. And a good atmosphere at Bloomfield Road can be a really good thing. It could carry Blackpool through to some very valuable points over the remaining months of the season. So as long as that continues, then I certainly fancy Blackpool's chances to stay up, especially over some of the other teams around them. In Sean Maloney's first match as the new Wigan boss, it ended goalless against Blackburn. First of all, the pitch here was shocking. I haven't got much <laughs> else to add on this game, Justin. It was not a contest for the ages. It wasn't a great game. Um, I, you know, Sky Sky don't pick their games very well. This is no disrespect to either Blackburn or Wigan, but they're not teams full of entertaining football. Um, so yeah, I know it's a Lancashire derby, but if I was picking Sky's games, I'd have at least put um, Blackpool Huddersfield game off, for example. Um, but enough about Sky. Yeah, the game wasn't the best. What I did take from it was that Wigan did impress me um, defensively. I think. Um, they looked solid, which I don't think we've been able to say since the very early stages of this season. Um, and I think that's yeah, that's a massive, massive plus because what Kylo Torre didn't do right was he didn't fix the main issues, which was conceding goals, conceding sloppy goals. Um, and, and Wigan were, were very tight, very resolute. I know Martin Kelly played a big part in that. I mean, he got man of the match and unfortunately went off injured, which is uh, a sucker punch. Um, but... It's a very solid foundation for them to build on. Um, Callan Lang looked relentless, full of energy in that final third, which again is a, is a positive because he's a player that I wanted to do well this season and he hasn't. Um, but yeah, I thought, thought Wigan impressed me. Blackburn, usually blunt. They were blunt again. Sorba Thomas putting some dangerous balls, but there wasn't anybody in the box for them. Um, sloppy in possession as well. So yeah, frustrating for Blackburn, but certainly a good result for Wigan. Yeah, I picked out the two players you mentioned there. I thought Callum Lang was lively for Wigan. I think he's a bit wasteful with his shooting. He shoots a lot, and I think he's only got the one goal this season. So maybe something he needs to just, you know, pull back on the amount of times he shoots. But otherwise, was really lively and was certainly Wigan's most dangerous player. Sorba Thomas made his debut, looked sharp, but was lacking that final ball. The one thing you would expect to get with Sorba Thomas, but it's certainly a good enough debut. I think it's a decent result for Sean Maloney in this game, despite him looking like a disconsolate police detective on the sideline. <laughs> um, despite how miserable their form was under Colo Torre, they're not far off from safety are they just three points away and you were saying at the weekend Justin you're quite comfortable saying Wigan won't stay up how much hope do you actually give them I'd give them um, a little bit more hope than maybe the other teams but if you look at that weirdly that bottom four um, maybe other than Blackpool actually the bottom three of those four teams um, Huddersfield Cardiff and Wigan they are much better defensively than they are going forwards um so that, that's going to play a big role in it, and that might open it up for Blackpool as well. Um, but if Wigan can maintain this ability to shut teams out and nick nick opportunities at the other end, then 
they could stay up. I'm not going to throw my hat in the ring just yet because I don't know if they've got enough quality in that final third to um, to overturn teams. But certainly keeping a clean sheet against a team who have been in the top six for virtually all of the season is a massive, massive plus and a massive building block. It's just got to be it's just got to be built upon. Um, and that game at the weekend is, is absolutely massive for them against Huddersfield. Absolutely. Since the beginning of November, Blackburn have only won three league games. They've now fallen out of the top six for the first time since October. Yondal Thomason's comments were interesting after the game. I've listened back to what he says a few times. I mean, it was difficult to fully make out what he was saying because he, he was mumbling a bit. But it, it sounded like he was saying they're not ready to go up. One thing he definitely said was that he was making a huge point about how many other signings other teams have made in January compared to them. He's clearly not very happy with the lack of business they did, but he is right. Blackburn aren't ready to go up. The drop-off in form was so obviously going to happen. I mean, we we were forecasting it for many, many weeks. They weren't playing particularly well, even when they were getting results. In fact, I don't think they're playing much worse now than they were Back then, the main difference is the strikers aren't firing. They're not putting away the small number of chances they create in games. Mainly, Ben Brereton Diaz. He's now without a goal since the World Cup break. His remarkable form wasn't going to last forever, and that's all it took for them to drop off. We tried to tell Blackburn fans that the results couldn't last, and it's now happening in front of our very eyes. And they, they could quite easily finish in the bottom half, because that's not a big points gap anyway but also because they look so flat right now and it would be a better reflection of where this team actually is, if you ask me. Have you got anything to add, Justin? I think they needed bodies in January. I do feel for John Dahl Thompson massively because um, I, one one area they didn't need to strengthen in was central midfield. I thought they needed to prioritise attacker, but Lewis O'Brien was touted. It would have been a good signing nonetheless because he's a fantastic player, but... Um, they needed it. They needed it more creativity in that final third. I know they brought in Silver Thomas, but still lacking somewhat. Um, but yeah, it is frustrating for Blackburn um, from a yeah, from the Rovers from the supporters' perspective. But um, certainly, I know you said that they can finish in the bottom half. But if they can click and get going, they could easily finish in the top six as well. That's how good a position they Just put themselves in. That's how no 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 no. Six. This is this is the I'm I'm merely making the point of the position they put themselves in. It will take a lot for them to click, but if they do, they can do it. Um, but they look so far away from that happening right now, it's, it's, it's unlikely. No, it's not going to happen. I can tell you that right now. Um, there was a moment in this game where the sky cameras panned to a man in the crowd, and I instantly thought, that's Lee Kemp. Why is former Birmingham and Forest goalkeeper Lee Kemp at this game? And the sky commentators said it was Chile manager Eduardo Brizzo, who was apparently watching Ben Barrett and Diaz play. I then searched what Eduardo Barrizzo looks like and it looks nothing like him. So I think it actually was Lee Camp. And I, if it was, I still have no idea what he was doing at this game. It's a huge mystery to me that I need answers to. Why was Lee Camp watching Blackburn v Wigan? And why did the Sky Cameras think it was the Chile manager? Also, a huge fair play to James McLean, who played in this game despite his wife giving birth earlier in the day. That is some huge commitment. I believe his wife tweeted to say he owes her a week of night feeds, which is completely understandable, Mrs McLean. Uh, Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll look ahead to some of the games coming up in the Championship this weekend and talk about some of the news from the past few days.
Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So in each preview episode of the Second Tier, Justin and I each pick a team we think is guaranteed to win in the Championship this coming weekend and also pick the team we think will be the biggest surprise winner. So Justin, who's your banker of the weekend in the Championship? Yeah, my banker of the weekend. Um, I mean, does it really matter anymore? I'm just I'm just saying teams that I think might get results now. Um, I'm not getting them, but hey. Yeah, I'm, I'll still play the game. I'll still play, uh, play the game. But I'm going with Millwall to beat QPR as my banker. On paper, this game has got draw written all over it. Um, two teams... Well, QPR... Does it, doesn't banker. sound like a banker then, Justin. <laughs> well, no, that's... that's you know, Just hear me out, okay? Right, I'm going to make the point. I'm going to try and right, um, okay, convince okay, okay. everybody. Um, but QPR's form is, is terrible at the moment. And I think when you're coming up against a Millwall side who... Away form, there is the away form isn't great, um, but I'm going to look at recency bias here for Millwall, and 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 that's going to be the main push for me for them getting the result here, the three points here against QPR. Um, they're just in a much better place altogether, obviously. Um, you know they're in and around the top six. They are sustaining that top six push much better than QPR did, who have now fallen away, obviously. Um, and as I say, although their away form is poor. They did beat Cardiff in their last away game, and I thought some, uh, in, the, in the game at the weekend at home to Sunderland, they should have won. Sunderland won with their only shot on target, and I know Sunderland fans will be frustrated at me saying Millwall should have been home and hosed uh, throughout the 90, but they should have at least won that game 1-0. It was a poor goal to concede, um, but I think they'll take heart from that. It's two good performances back-to-back, and I think they're going to use that as momentum, and that's 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 going to be the, the main driver here for that three points against against QPR. It's going to pile the pressure on Neil Critchley, unfortunately, um, and it's going to be three points for Gary Rowett's boys. You do realise the definition of a banker, don't you? I I use it flagrantly. Um, I don't care for definitions. You could pick any team in the Championship to win this weekend, and you pick a team of won four from fourteen away games all season. I don't I don't get your point. They won their last away game, and that's all that matters for me right now. Listen, listen. I've tried every methodology, and it's not coming off. So I'm just, I'm just going with what the gut tells me. Okay, okay. We'll see if Justin's gut <laughs> is correct this weekend, shall we? At my banker this weekend is Middlesbrough to beat Cardiff at the Cardiff City Stadium on Saturday afternoon. This one fairly self-explanatory. Only Burnley have picked up more points since the World Cup break than Middlesbrough. They've won five games on the bounce at the Riverside Stadium, but they're not playing there anyway. So I don't know why I've included that point in my notes. Um, <laughs> going forwards they're phenomenal no team has scored more than them since the World Cup break Tuba Akpom is the most informed player in the championship right now Cardiff will have to come up with some sort of a plan to stop him but the issue is you've also got to try and stop plenty of other attacking players Ryan Giles is one of the most creative players in the division Marcus Force has been flourishing on the wing since moving there. Cameron Archer is a very exciting signing from Villa. Riley McGree has the capability to pull something out of the bag on many occasions, as we've seen at this level. As well as that, Middlesbrough haven't conceded a goal in their last three home games. Another point that is completely mute because they're playing away from home. I don't know why I've included these things in my notes, but <laughs> it talks a lot about Middlesbrough's form anyway. And... That is an area that Carrick needed to improve on, the defensive side of things. But despite their good form, they weren't doing that. 
now he looks to have figured out the defensive side of things because the scoring goals were fun and now seemingly becoming more and more rock solid at the back. So very exciting times for Middlesbrough. Cardiff, though, are at the complete opposite end of the scale in that respect. Sabri Lamouche has lost his first two games in charge. And after the loss to Hull, he said, we have to panic. We're in the shit position and we need to work together to get out of this position. They're just a point outside the bottom three. Haven't won a game since early November. One point from their last five. I've only scored once in their last seven league games. Credit where credit's due. They're all right defensively and they will try to frustrate Middlesbrough. I'm sure of that, but I think it will just be too much for them. And I will be astonished if we see anything other than a Middlesbrough win right here. Borough are clinical, and that's going to be the key thing here. Cardiff aren't, even if Cardiff create chances, which is very rare, um, they don't put them away. Uh, Borough do. You just look at Chubber Outcome, for example, for example. It's just absolutely insane how how um, aggressive he is in front of goal now. It's absolutely superb to watch. And um, yeah, uh, it's one of those games where as a Cardiff fan, you're probably going, please, please don't. Please don't do too much damage to us. Um, and and in that in that essence, it's why they might win one 0 It's going to be it could be a surprise game. It's just one of those. But form wise, you can't see anything other than other than three points for Borough here. Yeah. To give some more accurate stats, it's five wins from seven away games for Middlesbrough. So the form book is not looking good from a Cardiff City perspective. Let's go to my upset, Justin. I've gone for Luton to beat Coventry at the Coventry Building Society Arena on Saturday afternoon. Now, some people may understandably be hearing that and say, that's not an upset. We base whether it's an upset or not on what the bookies are saying. And for some reason, Luton are massive odds to win this one. So I will happily pick them. The bookies odds may be symbolic of the patronising nature. Luton get treated by people outside of Luton. It's a running joke on this show that people uh, that we keep saying people are saying we sh- uh, we should get we shouldn't get beat by teams like Luton. As if the fact they play in a small stadium and don't have a massive wage budget means they're some sort of peasant team who don't deserve to play at the same level as some of the other clubs in this division. But Luton are now a certified promotion contender. They got to the playoffs last season. I bat them to get there again this season and they're in a very strong position to do just that. Six wins in seven league games. They are flying. And in a normal season, normal season may even be looking higher than just finishing in the playoffs. But unfortunately, that's quite a big gap they'll have to cover at this point. Not completely out of the question, but unlikely. Having conceded in their last three league games either and have the fourth best away record in the championship. They'll fancy their chances when they travel to Coventry. Coventry are a good side, but find themselves in a very sticky patch. Just two wins in the league since the World Cup break. They're struggling for goals a bit. I keep watching them and Victor Jacarez is looking very isolated up front on many occasions. They're struggling after looking so promising at one point. And I think this will be another game where they fail to get a win, especially with Luton in such banging form. So I'm going for a Luton win. Yeah, I think the big difference here for, for Luton is the amount of attacking players they've got. Um or goal scorers they've got compared to Coventry with Coventry they're limited they just have Victor Gerkerez. Um Casey Palmer has looked dangerous in recent weeks which is a positive but when you compare it to Luton they've got the likes of Carlton Morris uh, Elijah Idebeo, um Corey Woodrow's been starting games as well they've got options in that final third um, there were quite a few options in the final third which is is, is going to play a, a big role in, in these away games these tight away games and I just like you I, f- I fancy looting for this one um, I say you base you base your um, 
your decisions on 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 odds. I just go with the the old stomach. I, you know, that's technical. <laughs> okay, fair enough. What's your upset, <laughs> Justin? Um, yes, yeah, speaking of going with the gut, I, I I fancy Bristol City to get a result against Norwich, um, and that's mainly down to the position that Bristol City are in now, where they are going through this streak that they go on. They go on a couple every season where they look like they could be playoff contenders when in fact they're not. They've already fooled me once this season, but I think they're going through a middle of a, a streak right now where they are simply not unbeatable, but certainly in a position where they're just impressing. And again, it doesn't it's not happened very often at, you know, this season for Bristol City, but they've got players that are hitting form at the right time. Sam Bell's come in, he's been fantastic. Andy Vyman's just been made captain, which I'm sure is going to boost his confidence. Naki Wells is, is, is contributing once again to goals. Um, Cameron Bring has been fantastic as well. Defensively, they tightened up, and Cal Naismith is looking very, very tidy in that. Um, wouldn't say Claude McAuley role, more of a, a Perlo, maybe Scottish Perlo. We'll go with that one. Um, but yeah, they're just in a, a good position at the moment. Whereas Norwich, I know they won their last two away games away at, Pre- uh, Pre- at Preston and at Coventry and scored eight in the process. Um, but I think David Wagner is going to go through some teething issues with this Norwich team. They looked open against at times against Coventry in that first half, um, and they certainly looked open against um, Burnley at home last week as well. And I think Bristol City will look to exploit those those weaknesses. And again, Bristol City are one of those teams as well that they turn possession over very very quickly, and that's something Norwich are not able to cope with. So I think Bristol City will exploit that. They'll get a couple of goals, um, and it will be too much for Norwich. The only thing I would say on this game is that strangely, I'd be more comfortable back in Bristol City if the fixtures if the fixture was the other way around yeah where bristol city were away from home and norwich were at home bristol city have uh, they're unbeaten in their last five away games and norwich are abysmal at home so if it was the other way around i'd probably agree with you justin but because norwich are some, for some reason quite good away from home um i'm not so sure well now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news and Carlos Corporan has ended speculation about his future by signing a contract extension at West Brom. He had been heavily linked with the Leeds job following the sacking of Jesse Marsh. Of course, he was Marcello Bielsa's assistant there, but he's now committed his future until 2027. It would have been fascinating, Justin, had he gone to Leeds because that would have made him, that would have been his fourth job in the space of just over a year and a half which is pretty mad to think about. So maybe he was looking at this and thinking, this doesn't look particularly good on my CV if I have that many jobs in that short space of time. But fair play to him, Justin. I thought he would fancy the Leeds job, but this is huge news for West Brom, isn't it? Well, it's absolutely massive. It's absolutely massive. Um, it's one of those, it's, it's speculation that can derail a season, isn't it? I mean, being a Derby fan, it's happened many a times. Gary Rowett, Steve McLaren, it's happened to them. To them. Um, so, yeah, this is um, this is massive news. And it, and it just keeps focus on what is the, the end goal here for West Brom, which is promotion, essentially. Um, and in backing Carlos Corbran, giving him a, a long deal, it's a commitment to that. Um, and as you say, I thought, he would have been swayed by the Leeds job. I mean, I saw a report saying he was only offered an 18-month contract, which is, if that's the case, then that's more for Leeds because Corbyn's a very talented very talented coach and does deserve an opportunity. But after saying that he had unfinished business in the Championship, I don't think he could have left Could have left after a few months. So, yeah, he's, he's made the right decision. I think he's a manager um, who, need, who still needs to cut his cloth in the Championship and, and, and 
let's see what he's about with West Brom. And if he can get them promoted, then he certainly justifies um, he justifies the, the speculation because he's, he's shown that he's a good manager. Well, the fact that he is he was offered an eighteen month deal reportedly by Leeds, it would have been foolish to turn down a four and a half year deal at at West Brom. The one thing I will say is that is an awful long contract for a manager. Things yeah. can change very quickly in football. And if they decide to sack him, it's going to cost them a fair bit, especially because I imagine he was given a pay rise in this new contract. <laughs> West Brom aren't a club with everlasting riches, as we know. So that could be a problem if things went south for whatever reason. But it is great news for them because Corbran has changed so much at the club since coming in. So it's great news for this season. Results have quite obviously improved, but also the atmosphere. There's still the underlying tension with fan frustration at the owners, but fans haven't enjoyed watching this team this much in a few years. So as long as Corbran can continue that this season, then you'd fully expect West Brom to finish in the top six at least. Now there are doubts over the latest takeover bid for Sheffield United. Nigerian businessman Dozi Mabusi is in the process of a £90 million takeover. However, reports have brought up question marks over his wealth. The Daily Mail says the value of Mabusi's tech company has plummeted by nearly £7 billion in the past year. Meanwhile, The Athletic have reported that Mabusi is the director of an airline company which has no evidence that it's ever operated a flight and is facing a proposal to be struck off company's house. Now, Sheffield United aren't commenting on the takeover at this stage. And Justin, I don't want you to say anything here in case you say something that gets us into trouble. So we shall swiftly move on and emphasise that these are just reports and <laughs> everything. There may be an explanation for all these things, but interesting to say the very least. QPR have signed Chris Martin. The striker's been a free agent since having his contract terminated at Bristol City on deadline day. Only five players have scored more goals in championship history than Chris Martin. Justin Peach, what do you make of this move? I will add the caveat before you speak that being a Derby fan, you are absolutely in love with Chris Martin. So anything you say might be a tad favourable. Yeah, this is complete bias. He's the best forward that I've ever seen in a Derby shirt. <laughs> And actually, that's probably actually quite true. He is he's the complete number nine. The only thing he lacks is pace and energy. Um, but this QPR team needs a hold-up player. He needs support for Lyndon Dykes when he's when he's back fit. And obviously, when it, you know, he's currently out, they need a number nine to come in. Um, I thought Bristol City and Nigel Pearson underutilised him massively. Um, and I think he's going to knit together that forward line very nicely. He's, a, I mean, every Championship fan will be fully aware of Chris Martin now. He, he plays with his back to goal. He likes being in around the 18-yard box. And he likes, um, he likes not interacting. He doesn't talk to, well, he just talks to his teammates. But he likes to link up with his teammates quite often. Um, and that's and that's going to be good news for the likes of Elias Chair, Jamal Lowe and Tyler Roberts and Chris Willock when he's back in form. Um, I think he'll get the best out of those players. And he's one of those players that gets the best out of his teammates. He'll get the best out of his teammates and you won't, um, you won't fully um, appreciate what Chris Martin does. That's what I'll say. He... QPR needed a striker. We can definitely say that for sure, especially with Lyndon Dykes being out at the moment. Martin, it's been a while since he's been extremely prolific, but I think in his last couple of seasons, he's got double figures, which is pretty, you know, it's, it's a bar to set and that's a decent bar. This season, he's been used sparingly off the bench. So how much you can make of that, I don't really know, but... Yeah, why not? They they needed a striker. 
and he's got a very good record at this level. He's getting on a bit now. He's not the quickest of strikers, but you know, he never has been. He, well, he never has been, has he? But he's always been a he's always been a big shit house. Watford have mutually terminated the contract of striker Ray Manai. He only joined for Barcelona in the summer for an undisclosed fee. What a waste of time that was. We're going to have recalled winger Jordan Jones from his loan at Kilmarnock. And speaking of Wigan, boss Sean Maloney says it doesn't look good for Martin Kelly, who was taken off injured on his Wigan debut against Blackburn. The defender, who's only just joined the Latics, posted a picture on social media with his leg in a knee brace, saying devastated it is is. An understatement the true extent of his injury hasn't been revealed yet but it doesn't sound good so we wish him all the best now it's time for this did he yes sir you mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking the turns to guess them and we keep the score as the season goes on. This week, it's my turn to guess and my colleague's turn to provide the players and clubs with the scores 95-86 to Justin Peach for the season. I need a good score here. So can I have the first one, please, JP? You certainly can. Jordan Hugo and Port Vale. Yes. Are you, are you sure? Yeah, he came through there. Well, not came through there. He was like plucked from non-league, I think, from there. Yeah, I thought you'd miss that. Yeah, he made 20 appearances in 2014. I thought he made more, to be fair, but yeah, just 20 appearances before he got picked up by someone Preston. else. I can't remember. Might have been Preston. Preston. I can't remember. I literally looked at his profile yesterday as well. Paul. Yeah. One out of one. Uh, the next one is <clears throat> Andrew Taylor and Reading. I always forget which one Andrew Taylor is. Um, <laughs> there's too many Taylors. I, I instantly mix him up with Ryan Taylor, but my instinct to that answer is no. Yeah, he had a loan spell in 2016. I thought I'd get a player who is very nondescript, but is one of the. I think he's in the top 20 for appearance makers in a championship. So he did play for them. Yeah, he played. No, okay. yeah, he did. He did. He, 19 appearances on loan in 2016. Okay, so you got it wrong. Yeah. One out of two. Liam Lawrence and Cardiff City. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah, because I was going to include it for you last week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, Sloan Swell in 2016. Made seven appearances. Very, very tidy player. Yeah, he was a good player. I do not recall that spell at all. Um, hence no. why I was going to include it for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it was incredible at Stoke. But I'll move on to the next one. I won't delay. Peter Ramage and Sheffield United. I do not know Peter Ramage's career at all. Palace, Newcastle. Did he play for Sheffield United? Yeah, why not? Go for it. No, I made that one up. Okay. Two out of four. Two out of four. Stern John in Ipswich Town. Yes. Are you sure? Those are some yeah. doubt in your eyes there. I saw that doubt. No, no. Do you want to make sure you, you know, just rattle the brain a little bit longer? No, I don't. Why? Because I don't. <laughs> You're correct, yeah. Made seven appearances on loan in 2010. There was a lot of doubt in my eyes, actually. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. <laughs> yeah, he was either very good or very... He was the worst striker on the planet. He was either incredible or... He, no, he played well for Birmingham and Coventry, and that's it. Yeah, he's got, he's his goal record at Sunderland was brilliant as well. Oh, was it? I completely forgot yeah. he played for Sunderland. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Three out of five. Uh, the next one is Alex Pearce in Bristol City. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah, because I was going to include that for you last week as well. <laughs> yeah, loan spell, 2016, seven appearances. Four out of six. 
getting these on a technicality here. Next one is Matt Mills and Coventry City. Uh, no. You're incorrect. He made a loan. Uh, four appearances on loan in 2004. Oh, bloody hell. I was so confident then because obviously we interviewed him a couple of seasons ago and I don't recall that at all, but that's because I just completely you know, glossed over that. Four out of seven. Next one is Luke Varney and Bolton. God, Luke Varney's played for a few clubs. Um, I'm going to say no because Bolton is your go-to random club for making up players. That's a lie. <laughs> Might be, actually. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> um, you correct. I made that one up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Five no. out of eight. <laughs> it's taking you this long. Um, next one is Danny Bat and Sheffield United. Um, I think that did happen. Oh, hang on. Um, my first instinct was yes, so I'll go with yes, even though I'm struggling to picture when it would have actually happened. Are you sure? No. So you're saying no? I'm saying it did happen. Okay. Well, you're correct. You made one appearance on loan in 2010. 2010, okay. Six out of nine. Final one. Lewis Grabbin and Leicester City. No. Hmm. Hmm. Are you sure? If it did, it's completely news to me. Because uh, Lewis Graben's career is one of those who I actually do know quite well. And I'm pretty sure he didn't play for Leicester. Did I have a League One spell, Leicester? No, I'm pretty sure he didn't. You're correct. I made it up. I can just picture his wispy goatee in a blue shirt. <laughs> Has he ever played for a team in a blue shirt? Reading. Reading. Anyone else? I think it was came through at Palace. He likes red, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. actually. Bournemouth. Yeah, he played for Norwich as well. Yeah. Seven out of ten, which is all right, actually. Um, considering, I've, we were saying last week, weren't we, how our standards have massively dropped in this game. Seven out of ten is a fairly decent score. So that means the scores for the season now are 95 93 to just impeach for the season. Still fairly tight as uh, we head into the business end of the Diddy or Dignity campaign. Um, but there we go. Our next episode of the second tier will be out on Sunday, but it's going to be an interesting one, ladies and gentlemen. Here at the second tier, we've put out two episodes a week without fail for a long time now. In fact, I cannot remember the last time we actually did it where we didn't put out mm. you know two episodes a week it must be nearly two years since we had a break and we're not stopping anytime soon in the ultimate showing of commitment to this podcast and possibly even being too committed to this podcast we will be recording sunday's episode well i'll be recording sunday's episode from san francisco airport I'm going to New Zealand on Saturday and the only time we will be able to record will be when I'm changing flights. It also means I'm making Justin record with me in the early hours of Sunday morning. It's going to be interesting watching as much games as possible, as many games as possible while in the air. And I am I think it's just going to be an interesting experience, Justin. I'm, I'm certainly going to carry the episode um, <laughs> Sunday, aren't I? <laughs> Some say you may do that anyway, Justin. I won't argue that, but it's, yeah, it's going to be a tough weekend for me because it's a Super Bowl the day after as well. So it's going to be two rocky evenings or mornings uh, for me. Yeah. So Monday's Monday's going to be a write-off. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fun. We we love doing the podcast. And I think this is a, an ultimate show of that. And uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. 
continental uh, second tier. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Um, I think I really struggled to sleep on planes, so I'm not sure oh, I'll be able gosh. to get any kip beforehand <laughs> either. So, uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting one, ladies and gentlemen, but we can tell you for sure that we will always be putting 100% into every single episode, um, even when we're in a completely different country at a completely different time zone to one of the other persons uh, who are recording with. But anyway, this has been the Secretary Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday for that truly remarkable episode. And we look forward to seeing you there. This has been the Secretary Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.